Bad in a Podcast, sponsored by Flyro. This podcast is sponsored by Flymo, home of the hover and the only garden brand that my nan will use. Don't bother asking her about the rest. She only wants a Flymo. My nan loves them. My mum and dad love them. I love them. Everything I've had from Flymo is quality, it's affordable, and it's designed to make caring for your garden easy. From the robotic, which will literally just do the work for you, that's my sort of gardening, to the hovers that will literally glide over the grass, cut it for you, sorted. Anything that makes tidying your garden quickly and easily is a win in my book. Now, my nan bought my hover for me about 10 years ago, probably went old school and got it from a shop, and you can do the same. Or you can hit the link in the description, flymo.com. You get free delivery on all orders over 45 quid. You can't ask better than that. Get it delivered. Get that grass cut. Today's podcast is the best bits from last night's show. We are live every Monday to Thursday, 8 till 10, on Twitter, Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, Anywhere, are we anywhere else? Them, just them places at the moment. If you want to watch, if you want to get involved, if you want to phone in, Monday to Thursdays, 8 till 10. Let's press play on it. Hello, Jenny. Hello. Hi. It's always very quiet. I've been there all of a sudden. It just sort of cut off, but I'm back. Anyway, um, <laughs> welcome to the show, Jenny. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lee. It's great to be here. I'm very excited about tonight. Um, it's great to have you on. Uh, the reason uh, I wanted to speak to you tonight was because I saw your new book. Yeah. Um, I wanted to. Before we before we dive straight into that, I wanted to find out a little bit more about you and how you got into this whole world of garden. Just tell us a bit more about tales um, of Mother Earth from Mother Earth, should I say? No problem at all. Um, I've I've always loved animals. I've always had a huge uh, passion for nature, um, and I think uh, when I became a parent, I was very aware that uh, we've got to look after the next generation, and we need them to understand that. Uh, uh, we're not the owners of this planet necessarily, we're the guardians of it and we're the protectors of it and we need to look after our wildlife and our environment. Um, and everything that's kicking off at the moment is so, so important. Um, it was around last year sometime when the amazing David Attenborough said that the Garden of Eden was no more. Um, and that that really shocked me. Um, and and it, it shouldn't have shocked me really because we've been hearing that on, on the Blue Planet and Life on Earth and, and the Survival Series and, and all the other amazing programs that have been brought to our screens that um, our animals and our wildlife and our environments are, are in trouble. But when he actually said it's no more, it's not like it's just in trouble anymore, it's actually no more. Lee, that really, that really um, hit me. And uh, I was already doing beach cleans and I was already going out with my two boys uh, picking up rubbish. We were putting nest boxes up in the woods and, and all sorts of things. And I, um, yeah, and, and because of that, I just thought I need to do something. I need to do something more. Yeah. Um, along that time as well, there was the report that came out about the insects um, being in major decline as well. 
So um, I'm not much of a gardener and you probably don't want to hear that, but um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, um, I filled my garden up with lavender because I just thought I need to help the bees. I need to help the pollinators out there as well. Um, yeah. And I've turned into a gardener, which you probably do want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> and my children are very keen on gardening, but it, it's for that reason. It's for the reason that we see the pollinators, we see the butterflies, we see the bees and, and we know we're helping and it makes us feel better that we're yeah. actually doing something for the environment. Um, so it all came along uh, really around what June, July time last year, I was talking to a friend um, and it must have been in my mind that I wanted to do something more and the opportunity came up and we fixed on an idea of writing stories. And I said, well, they have to have a conservation message in them. Um, she's a continuity announcer and I now know her as Mother Earth uh, and right. she's the co-founder. Um, and so we put our idea into practice and I wrote Phoebe the Bee. Um, I tested it on my children. I tested it on a few more children and it, it kind of went from there. Um, so when did the book come out? Uh, it actually, we actually self-published it in March. Oh, awesome. March year, which was a, a crazy month to launch anything, let's face it. But, oh, it's uh, at the same time. So it's absolutely yeah. fine. It's a great time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what sort of response have you had, had from it? Oh, amazing. The support we're getting for our book is incredible. Um, it, it's a book that can go from the ages of three right the way up to 10 years old. And what we've actually done is put lots of stimulus in it to keep a child's learning and involvement active as yeah. their learning develops right the way through. So there's puzzles in there and there's a fun facts page in there. There's a crossword in there. There's coloring in pictures. There's the main story as well. And then also there's the element of the audio um, attached to the book as well, um, whereby we actually have a read along feature um, and there's also um, music. So we've, we've put the whole composition, if you like, the production of it together. Wow, that's and it's, it's incredible now. I've actually written seven stories for the series, which is just, its it, I got carried away, I think. <laughs> like sucks you into it, to it all. That's brilliant. Wait, before before you um like really got into this, like what made you like go on like beach cleans and like feel like you wanted to get wildlife and stuff into the garden? Just purely the fact that it was hugely in the news. Um, Greta Thunberg was doing her marches. Um, Extinction Rebellion were doing their marches. And the fact that I'm a mother, I'm, I'm bringing my children up to respect nature, to respect yeah. wildlife. Um, and we were getting out there and doing it. And it was incredible, the amount of gloves and the amount of um, masks that were like lying around. You think um, rubbish is like an old thing in a way, but it, but it soon became very apparent to us that yeah. it wasn't thing and people was, were dumping all sorts of things and uh, we wanted to um, and I think it's a responsibility that my my children I, I like to instill that in them that it's you know it's an environment that we all take pleasure from and we should respect so, so was, was that an easy thing to get your boys into yes yes it was <laughs> yeah no it was I've always brought them up to um to respect nature and um, I mean we've gone we've gone out and not just fed the ducks but we've 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 I mean my, my children really love all sorts of nature they they marvel at ants for instance they've got a big thing about ants at the moment yeah. um my neighbor was um mowing his lawn um and they got the cord wrapped around a big um rock and it literally lifted up the rock and there was an ant's nest under there and my, my boys were fascinated just watching it 
and yeah. it was just incredible and and I know no I now know because obviously I'm doing a lot of this conservation and I'm talking to ecologists and conservationists and scientists and professors in this um, kind of sector I, I'm knowing now how good it is to get children outside which you obviously also know but yeah. the fact yeah. that their confidence can improve, their social ability can improve, their connectedness improves. There are so many benefits for children outside. So when I take my children out into the woods, into the beach, all the places we go, I'm like thinking, you know, I'm doing okay, I'm doing good. This is this is improving their their social skills, their mental skills, um, and it's so good for them. So it, it's good to get them away from technology every now and then, let's face it. Yeah, I think... Um, I I think everyone we talk about it's a lot about technology and stuff because it is a big draw for children. And I thought always I've got um, my five year old daughter, and you know sometimes an iPad is is the savior. But actually getting <laughs> away from from that and being outside makes such a difference. And and I always talk about like especially as a parent, like it creates like proper memories being outside and around nature, around gardening, just being outside together. Um, so much more than any sort of technology can really really make yeah i think so i mean without without going too much into it you know we're part of it and i think when we go out in nature we we realize that and it, and it's all going on around us if we're lucky enough to see it and if we stop for a moment and actually look um and see the bees working hard collecting the nectar and the pollen and doing what they do um and having a butterfly land on your finger or, or a ladybird land on your finger i mean that for a child is is incredible I mean, yeah. it's, an, it's another life. I've actually got my neighbour, um, I've spoken to her recently, and she says, Jen, I, I don't look at um, ants in the same way anymore. She used to kind of just step on all the ants she could see in her garden sort of thing because she just didn't like didn't like them at all. Yeah. Um, and now after understanding a bit more about Phoebe the Bee, our book, and, and our philosophy and what, we all, what, what we're about, she says she now knows that an ant has a, has a life. Yeah. It, has, it has a reason it, it's either in it's in the food chain but it but it it, it has a purpose for yeah. it for a day whether it needs to gather food or whether it needs to look after the colony whether it needs to feed the grubs it, there is a purpose for it to be there and mm -hmm. she says now she watches them rather than stamps on them so that's got to be an improvement right yeah definitely well, i always get people um asking me about how to get rid of slugs and stuff but again they're part hedgehog. of nature yeah yeah <laughs> But they're part of nature as well. Like, I feel like they're hated so much, but they're part of everything that's going on now. They've got somewhere, couldn't tell you where, but somewhere there's an important reason that they're out there. Do you know what I mean? There is. There is. I mean, I, yeah, I see them as the food chain for hedgehogs and for some birds and, and other things, definitely. And long may that continue. Um, <laughs> I, I know they can be the bane of gardeners when it comes to their, their precious vegetables and, and that kind of thing but they're, they're just doing what they do i guess but you don't want too many of them but um a few shouldn't harm much no. so um for bees any tips that we could attract bees into the garden oh yeah well there's loads i mean bees are really in decline at the moment and that's why we went with bees for our first um book um i was listening to your podcast actually about um the um artificial grass oh yeah <laughs> Oh, and, I yeah. and I was just thinking and also mowing mowing grass I mean in a way to attract more bees into your garden they need to find the dandelions and the day and the daisies and the clover and they need to find those those weeds really so 
one of the best things you can do is is do a lot less in the garden and yeah. um, yeah. allow those flowers to come up and uh and, and marvel in what comes up. Because sometimes if we step back a little bit or have an area in our garden that we can leave um, to grow wild, I mean, I, I've got that and the amount of ragwort came up, it was incredible, that, that bright um, yellow flower. Um, and it, it grew about four or five foot. I was just blown away by it really. But the amount then of butterflies and hoverflies and bees that, that were really enjoying um, the harvest from it and the nectar was just a lovely to see. And it's okay to leave a part of your garden that's not pristine. I mean, I think we've all become too much like our gardens are almost like extensions of our conservatories or extensions of our house, where we almost like you said about the um, artificial grass. We want them to be almost carpeted and, yeah. and absolutely pristine. And we want to keep them very neat and tidy or decked over or concrete and pots and all that kind of thing. But, but for nature, if we can just step away a little bit or leave an area, then it can it can colonize it and um, it can have a whale of a time yeah it can make such a difference my friend um who used to live over the road from me he had an amazing garden full of like wild areas and trees and planting and the first thing he did was wipe the whole thing out and just to be fair he didn't wow. put artificial grass down but it just just neat turf and that was it i was like there's nowhere for for nature then there's nothing through it to it they're just gonna fly mm. by <laughs> thing. they were saying that was it 97 percent of our meadows have gone now um yeah. and i know people are starting to put meadows back in which is fabulous but no wonder our pollinators are in such decline and they're in such trouble and that's what we advise in in phoebe the bee we're advising children to go out and plant wildflower seeds like you were saying in the ad break about the, the wildflower seed bombs that you can make really easily um we do that in some of our craft events at um story workshops and that kind of thing but that teaches a child that once they plant that and they see that um, plant come up in what three four months time and then it flowers and then a bee actually comes along and and harvests the nectar for instance then that child it's that empowerment feeling that, that child's going to feel that is just so incredible and to be part of that process to for that child to open their eyes and realize what they've done and the benefit that that has given the natural world I think is really special yeah, definitely. The best thing I've done this year is plant wildflowers with my, my daughter. We had a massive wildflower meadow, and I've actually, since it, it died off, I've, I've planted over it now. So um, you talking about leaving some of your lawn growing is, is something I definitely want to, want to start doing to, um, to still have a place for, for bees especially. You'll have to be prepared, though, because when the kids get hold of that a whole idea about leaving your lawn growing, I mean, if you know, the dandelions sometimes do get quite unruly. Um, but if anything's flowering now in my garden, I'm not allowed to uh, take it down, basically. You might get that from your daughter. I'll have to wait for <laughs> flowers to stop the dandelions. And I mean, they can grow quite large sometimes as well. So, yeah, well, well when, when we grew our wildflowers, the first wildflower popped up and she had a cousin over and her cousin went and picked it. And oh my God, like World War Three started over here. It, it was not good. She's so protective <laughs> over that area. She's like, no, no one picked those flowers. The thing is with those flower meadows that, I mean, it, it, you plant them, don't you? And then was it once a year, you actually need to take it all back to nothing again. Yeah. That's it. But, I could, but the thing is, the best thing to do is let them die off because they do look they look awful my wife was like why are you leaving them they look dreadful but they obviously reseed mm. the air and they're buying more seed which is, is a good thing but mm. i might end up doing another project over mine so i ruined that idea but um 
but yeah, they're really easy to do. I love wild wildflowers; not the easiest go to for me, especially for kids. Yeah, absolutely, and it's so important for kids, like we say as well. So, well, the other ideas, I guess, in answer to your question, and other ideas that you can do for bees is you can leave a, sh um, a shallow dish of water because bees do need um, water to take back to the hive. Yeah. Um, if you're lucky enough to have a pond in your garden, obviously there's a, um, a like a shallow beach area, then they'll they'll go there um, and congregate and collect the water there. But if not, like a saucer of water is fine. Obviously, it needs to be a saucer so it's not too deep because obviously they can drown very easily. They're only tiny little insects, let's face it. Yeah. Um, the other thing which you probably do is put up um, like bee hotels where you can easily make them with bamboo canes and, and put them up in the trees and that kind of thing for solitary bees. Mm -hmm. I think we've got... Is it 270 types of bees uh, um, in our in our country? Wow. Uh, yeah, there's loads. There really is. Um, and unfortunately, they're, they're in decline. So we do need to help them and we do need to um, allow them to thrive. And, and really, our gardens are can be such a nourishing place for them. Yeah. Um, you know, if we have the flowers, they need to go to about, I think it's 2,000 flowers a day they need to visit to, yeah. to keep the nourishment in them to, to let them thrive. Where do bees like generally live? I never really see. I know we've got like I've got loads of these bee homes, and I'd never see any of them actually move into them, but they look nice. But when... do you really not? You don't see any of them fill fill up at all. They never fill up. I've got about four in my garden, and they look great, but no, none of them even give it a sniff. Okay. Well, I guess it's where you're placing them, maybe. Um, so sort of place them where the shrubs are. So they've got an instant um, food source will be good. But you know what the bee homes are, don't you? You know what those bee hotels are and, and the purpose of them and, and how it works. For them to go into the little holes. That's right. Yeah. So a bee, that one of the solitary bees or will go in there and they'll lay an egg. They'll put some um, some nectar in there and some pollen in there as well. And then they'll actually, um, either with mud, or if you get a leaf cutter bee, for instance, they'll stick leaves in there to uh, to uh, close the hole. And that's how you know you've got grubs in there, really, for next year, for next spring. Oh, um, and then they'll pop out. Pardon? Then they'll just pop out in the year after. That's right. They'll just come out in the spring, yeah, as, as new formed bees ready to uh, do the pollinating all over again. Yeah. It's like a bee maternity ward. It is, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it is, absolutely. So, um, yeah, and sometimes, I mean, I know my ones, I know when the leaf cutter bees were there because the leaf, um, the leaves that they were putting in, um, once the flowers obviously had little perfect little holes cut out of them and you could see them going into the, uh, the structures and actually um, closing the holes up and they were all green. And then over time, obviously, as the leaves die, um, it's become more the, the kind of the brown dead leaf sort of um, look. But uh, they're in there, and they're in there safe for the next year. The only thing you can do sometimes is get predators coming along, obviously, like birds and, and other um, bigger predators, really, that um, try and get the grubs out. So that's something you just have to be aware of. But that's that's nature at the end of the day. That is That actually makes sense now, because I'll be honest with you, I didn't know that. But once upon a time, there was bees. I've got, I used to have on the side of my garage, like uh, concrete blocks, but they had holes in them. Okay. Mm -hmm. the bees going backwards and forwards backwards and forwards backwards and forwards and i was like surely there's not a, a a hive inside the block but obviously there wasn't a hive they were just doing putting the grubs and stuff and then filling it back up 
Yeah, it, it's amazing. It's amazing to see as well. And for kids, it's amazing to see because you can actually get like um, B-box hotels that have actually got a clear section. So you can actually see when they're going in there and where they're depositing um, the, the little bit of honey and the little bit of nectar and the egg, obviously. And then they close them up and then they fly out. And sometimes you can get three or four in a row. Um, yeah. And you can slide it out so you can actually see the development and how it's going in there. That's amazing. And uh, I think sometimes also you can you can close it off so the predators can't come and uh, obviously wreck the uh, the nursery, as it were. Oh, okay, that makes sense. I never, I to be honest with you, I never knew birds even went for for that sort of thing as well. Yeah, when I believe they, sometimes they do yeah. because they they just you know they just fancy a grub or two, I guess, and that that's where they'll be. People always ask me, how do you cut your lawn? Well, the simple answer is, well, uh, let me tell you. I fly more, fly more, fly more with daily. Fly more, fly more, fly more with daily. Fly more, fly more, fly more with daily. Fly more, fly more. Um, you said you've got some other books in the in the pipeline. What sort of things are you going after next? Hedgehogs. That's our next one. Spike the Hedgehog. Yeah, he's going to be coming out. Um, and obviously they're in decline as well. They're the nation's favourite mammal. Um, and when I started researching with hedgehogs and we put the plan together to, to write Spike the Hedgehog, um, it was very clear to us that people call it the Hedgehog Highway. Um, and it's the fact that hedgehogs have a, well, sometimes they can travel about three miles a night, something like that. So they, they really can travel and they can climb. Um, and they're very noisy as well. If you know you've got a hedgehog in your garden, you know about it. Um, but they're great for the gardeners, let's face it. And they're great for keeping the grubs down, like we say as well. Um, but for hedgehogs, it's all about the fact they need to get from A to B. Um, with us in our gardens, again, putting solid structures like fences um, and, and more concrete in our gardens, it's, um, it's not allowing them to travel naturally through, through our environment at all. And that's another issue. Yeah. So in that one, there's a solution in the conservation tips to uh, to cut a hole in your fence to allow the hedgehogs through and to give them that that access to an environment yeah. that let's face it, we're asleep, but they're out there and they're they're moving around and the, and they need to to travel to find hedgehog friends um, and obviously start their own little families. Yeah. Ever since I put a hole in my fence between my neighbour, we've had so many hedgehogs. Like a lot of, like, they like, sound like little mini pigs. Yeah. 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 They are. I mean, they they are. They they really do snuffle and and yeah and and oink really I guess and snuffle. And there's a thing about that. They used to be called um, pig urchins or something, didn't they? Because okay. um, oh I don't I can't remember the fact on that, but they they used to be called that purely because they used to be um, prickly pigs or something. We'll have oh, to look yeah. into that. I love hedgehogs. I think bees is a big winner for me, and hedgehogs are straight in, especially with my daughter. She loves both of them, them um, for nature. Uh, well, then, then what we've done after that, I mean, the animals that we've chosen, really, for our, for our series of books, there, there's seven that have been written currently. 
and they're all animals that are in decline that we can help that we can feel empowered by helping so um there's like the garden nest box for instance so that's like the blue tits and the small birds in the garden um there's uh the swifts because they're in decline as well so I mean, these are going to come out over time. We've obviously started with Phoebe the bee. And incidentally, yeah. do you know Phoebe the bee or, or the bee have the, has the title now of being um, the world's most important living species on the planet? Oh, really? Actually, yeah, it was amazing. It came out in February at an Earthwatch uh, meeting in London, um, February 2019. No, no. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It came out in February 2020 um, by Earthwatch saying um, the bee is the most important living species on this planet. And obviously that's due to the pollination, the biodiversity and the environment that where we are at the moment. And if a bee goes, you know, we're in trouble. So that that kind of made sense really that we launched with the bee to be the first. Yeah, because it's true without bees, it, we, it could possibly wipe out the whole world. It sounds extreme, but- That's what Einstein said. That's exactly what Einstein said. Um, he, he said four years after the bees go, we go. Um, I'm not entirely sure about that, but I know our food stuff and our food um, variety would would uh, drop dramatically, definitely. Because mm -hmm. um, obviously it's, it's every third forkful you put in your mouth, um, a bee has, has helped with the pollination of that food stuff. Wow, incredible. Yeah, it um, is. It's amazing. Movie. So It's kind of understandable <laughs> really that they've been... Um, They've been given that title because they are so 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 important to our to our ecosystem um, yeah. along with other pollinators as well but bees now are actually shipped around to farms to actually pollinate crops because they're not there naturally that's amazing one of our listeners actually um had a box of bees delivered to his allotment i don't um, think it was hate mail but he's got a box so so people and also i like people are, are bringing them into their gardens a lot more and bringing them to their allotments. To, so people do see the importance of them, definitely. Um, it's just getting kids to know about it, really. Yeah, that's right. I mean, well, yeah, it is. I mean, the kids learn about this in their bugs and grubs and also um, mini beasts in, in, their, in their school. But talking to wildlife centres and ecologists and conservationists, it seems that there's a bit of a lost generation in there. And so if children are feeling empowered... Um, by our stories and our music and obviously the messages that are out there at the moment to really connect with nature and reconnect with nature, then possibly their adults um, can, can maybe some of them will experience it with fresh eyes for the first yeah. time. Yeah, um, that's, that process. that's the biggest thing, because I think, like you say, there is a massive generation that just didn't have that education at school or their parents weren't really bothered about it, so then... 100% not bothered about it. So it's the kids that are going to, through like books like yours, that are going to be able to push that onto their mum and dad. Yeah, well, absolutely. And, and that's why we thought in a way that we'd, we'd go with the, the lower end of the market in terms of the age, you know, the three-year-olds to 10-year-olds, the, the key stage one, early key stage twos. Because through them being wide-eyed and open to nature, and, and, and let's face it, a child, when they see that butterfly for the first time or they see that that um, the bees are, and, and, and nature, when they experience it for the first time, when they're allowed to go into the garden and, and, and feel that connectivity, if you like, with nature, um, it, it's an amazing thing. I mean, one thing I love being about a parent, I don't, I don't know if you do, but I love showing my children things that 
just opens their minds and just i just find that incredible um yeah i think that's really special yeah i feel like a constant magician like constantly <laughs> all these like if from growing plants to showing them about nature just all these sort of things i'm just david blaine yeah well it, it makes sense doesn't it i mean i'm sure you are you got the hairstyle for it it's all good yeah thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um how was it self-publishing a book how was that for you um it was nerve-wracking i think really um we tested it we took it out to market and uh, we tested it in children's nurseries um and we took it to to families and, and with young children and we really tested it and that was quite a nerve-wracking thing as well giving your your product your prototype to a three-year-old and saying there we go test it and see what they do with it um, one of them came back in pieces which was a bit concerning <laughs> um but in terms of the self-publishing um yeah, we, we we just went ahead. I mean, there's five of us in the team. So there's myself as the author, there's um, Mother Earth, um, a composer, a story editor, and then an amazing um, illustrator. So there's five of us in the team. And we wanted our books to be illustrated with, um, with animals that are anatomically correct. It was really important to us to not to have like a cartoon book or anything. We wanted them to be as correct as they can be. So children could actually relate to them yeah. um the pictures that we've we've actually come up with for phoebe for instance are really quite large and vivid and colorful pictures um and our feedback is is the fact that children are really loving the fact that the, the images are so large in a way because if you think about the size of a bee they're obviously very very small and, and a child taking that in and then it's flying around it's just good so they can actually see it um, yeah. and they really appreciate that that makes sense. Yeah. So they are, they, like, when my daughter, Olive, when she first like, saw bees and that, she was like all scared and stuff. And I ain't until they like proper see like, like an up close picture of them, they know what they're dealing with. Yeah. Initially, yeah. you know, get away. But, you know. I, I'm the same. I used to hate things buzzing around my head, in all honesty. But we've also had feedback, which is wonderful, that some children that have read our book have been very scared of bees. Um, but now they're not scared of them. And they know they need to protect them, which yeah. which is a lovely turnaround, isn't it? It's, you know, from that age of a child, it's instead of flapping and running around and going ah, <laughs> like you do with wasps sometimes, or I, I used to with wasps. Um, it, it's quite nice that we've uh, they've they've learned to appreciate through through our stories possibly, and also other things that are out there because a lot of people are talking about bees and, and the importance of them, um, but. You know, they're to be respected, and um, the amount of work they do. Do you know, for instance, how how long? Um, do you know how much a honeybee actually produces in its lifetime of honey? Do, do you know that at all? Oh, what are we dealing with, jar wise? We're, we're dealing with teaspoons. Oh, okay, right. Oh, we're, oh, not a lot then. And not even one teaspoon. What? Yeah. How long does it? How long do they live for? Just a year. Well. It, it, no, not necessarily a year either. If, you, if you're looking at a worker bee, it's probably about five to six weeks, something like that. Oh, really? Yeah, and they need to travel to about 2,000 flowers a day. And they're obviously making um, the honey, obviously, to feed their, to feed their young. Mm. So when people, like, harvest honey, there's a lot of work that goes into that for them. And people. that's what we tell children, yeah, when we go out to do story workshops. It's, it's actually, Lee, it's a twelfth of a teaspoon. Wow, yeah. incredible. Yeah. 
it, it's amazing. So for the key stage one, we say it's 12 bees to make one teaspoon. Uh, for key stage two, we kind of go it's a 12th of a teaspoon because they're, they're up with fractions about that time. So, yeah. Well, I'll pick the lower but one. But it's then. incredible. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't it incredible that this little bee works so hard to produce what it can, pollinating the plants, obviously landing on the right parts of the flower so it gets the best pollination for the flower and the best nectar source for the, for the bee in that symbiotic relationship. Um, and that's what it actually produces, a twelfth of a teaspoon. So we, we do have to really respect these amazing, um, amazing bees that are out there. It's amazing. Um, I feel like I'm learning so much. <laughs> where can we get where your book from, Jenny? Where, whereabouts can we go for it? Well, we sell them all um, online. So it's at talesfrommotherearth.co.uk. Um, I can show you it if you want. Do you want to have a quick look at it? Yeah, let's have a look. Okay, there you go. That's Phoebe the Bee. Oh, it's such a great cover as well. I love it. Um, and then the CDs at the back. I don't know if I'm showing it any of this. And then you've got the picture. And I mean, here, for instance, on the on the fun facts that children can just kind of consume and uh, go and tell their friends. Um, this is obviously for the, the slightly older children, but a bee has five eyes. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Wow. And bees are the only insects that produce food eaten by man. It makes you think, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> fun fact. And then obviously you get the conservation message, which we which we were talking about. Um, the the water provide um, the solitary house for the for the bees. Let your lawn grow. Dedicate an area of your garden to grow wild. And then obviously the story just folds through as well. So so that, that's long yeah. Um, how much is it, there, Jenny? It's eleven pounds ninety nine. Wow, that's such a good price as well. Why? How come you? How come you did the uh, the CD part of it along with it? What was the well, idea? Because it's our whole um, mission, if you like, is to reconnect children with nature. We thought if Mother Earth was actually narrating the story, children would relate more to to the voice, and also it gives them an opportunity that if they don't want to learn necessarily by reading a book, they can learn by listening to a book. And then as soon as we had the story being on the audio side of things and being narrated, then I thought we need music to go with this to put a production together. So um, our, our composer is just fabulous. And I gave him the, the, uh, the, the, um, the challenge really, I guess, in a way to produce a piece of music that evokes nature. Um, I wanted to feel the, the, the sun coming through the trees and the majesty of nature. And he put, he's written the most amazing piece of music that we now call Mother Earth's Theme. And it's on, it's on the CD, it's on number four on the CD. Um, and it's actually a lullaby. It's almost like a, a breath running through it. It's just so beautiful. Um, and I know it's a lullaby because I fell asleep in the recording studio when we were uh, recording it. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, Jenny, later on, we're gonna, we'll buy your book live on air so everyone knows where to get it from. Fantastic, uh, thank you. Uh, but thank you so much for coming on the show. I really, I really appreciate it. I've, I feel like I've learned so much about bees. Well, that, that's what it's all about. It's, it's. I mean, they are incredible, incredible creatures. They're the number one um, species on this planet currently. We need to look after them, um, along with all the other pollinators that do an amazing work with the biodiversity and everything that needs to be done. So, yeah, we've, we've looked into it too, and, and we've learned a lot through this journey. Um, and we look forward to engaging with more children and, and in reconnecting them with nature. That's what it's all about. 
Awesome. Thank you so much, Lee, for coming on the show tonight. No problem, Lee. It's been a total delight. Thank you so much. You take care. Thank you. Bye. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you fancy giving it a review, then five stars only. You know the score. Just five stars. Write what you want after that, can't you? But five stars in your podcast app. Uh, thanks to Flymo, flymo.com for all your Flymo needs. And uh, yeah, if you want to get in contact, it's lee at skinnygingarner.co.uk or on the socials. And remember, we go live Monday to Thursday, 8 till 10 on Facebook, Twitch, YouTube and Twitter. This is a Skin and Gin Gardener podcast sponsored by Flyro.